So I'm here with the amazing Carrie Anderson. Carrie Anderson. She's been a Forbes columnist, an Emmy-winning Wall Street Journal and NBC journalist. She's written a number of books. She's one of my favorite public speakers because when this woman gets on stage, she just is on fire with ideas. See you, Carrie, at uh, TED at IBM, which was really, really amazing. And so if you're watching this, after you get done, go watch her on YouTube because it was fabulous. And right now we're here to talk about her new book, Mutuality Matters. And tell us what that means to you. What does mutuality mean to you? I believe it's our most noble calling. Uh, and I'll say something controversial to start. Uh, my friend Adam Grant wrote Give and Take. And I believe that even giving causes damage. We've had unhelpful givers. We have people keep on giving and make it out of balance and resent it when they don't get it back. But it takes a real groundedness and awareness of oneself to be more present and less projecting when we meet somebody. And if we have a mutuality mindset, we're looking for the space where we have something in common, not necessarily our hometown or our work, but something that matters to us. And I believe conversations can happen warmly that way. And when you find a sweet spot of shared interest and say, it seems that you're interested in this, and I am too, would you like to talk about it? And mm. that's, that's a context. Because a lot of people start talking about themselves, including how they're giving. <laughs> um, and a lot of people are very smart and want to build their network or their brand and stand out and so on. But, but for us to be nourished and to accomplish more, um, I believe the glue that holds groups together is the person that finds that sweet spot and keeps us together around it. That was a longer answer than I intended, Janet, but it's been on my mind for many years. Well, I think it's a really beautiful answer. So part of mutuality that um, kind of syncs with me is that a lot of it is about generosity. You say in the book that it's not about what people think about you, but how they feel about themselves when they're with you. Yeah. Uh, how does that play in a digital world, in a virtual world? I think some very concrete ways are um, for us to learn from our hot buttons and blind spots. When I get most upset about somebody, if I don't know what those patterns are, it's like defensive driving. I don't see far enough ahead when they're coming up, so I'm more likely to be reactive. And I was that way many times in my youth. And if you react against someone as if they're a jerk, especially if they're acting like one at that point, you're making it worse. So digitally, there's always some part of somebody that you can genuinely admire. And be specific and say, when you did this, I was very impressed. I'll tell you, Janet, the situation that sticks with me the most is when this man was playing... Um, soccer in Barcelona, uh, African guy from Latin America, and someone in this crowd threw down a banana at his feet. Mm. And he I turned around that. and he calmly reached for the banana, took a bite, threw it, and nonchalantly continued, and people got up and cheered, and he turned the alchemy of the audience, of the people, from those parent minority, who knows how they shifted, um, from being in awe of him and admiring him. Mm -hmm. So bring out other people's better side, especially when they're not showing it. And digitally as well as in person, 
speaking to something that you truly admire they've done in the past or they just did and in front of people who matter to them raises the level of behavior for us all. I'm not necessarily good at doing it, but I'm better than I used to be. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody's ever perfect, right? <laughs> no, this isn't a one-time discovery. It's a reminder because we're wired, we're hardwired out of our desire to survive to react quicker, longer, and stronger to what we don't like than what we do. Mm -hmm. And in an increasingly connected world where any innovation, the law of unintended consequences is becoming the norm, um, bad things can happen with good tech, as you know better than me. Mm -hmm. So our goal is to be seeing where opportunities we can seize or problems we can solve because bad things are being used that were never intended when that tech was created, whether it's a drone or other things. Yeah, yeah. Well, and to me that's a very that's a very good example because that guy was really present in the moment and he didn't just knee-jerk react to it, he responded to it. And I think for me the difference between reacting and responding is that reacting is almost a mindless action and responding is more considered. Would you agree with that? I would. I think we have to acknowledge that unless we have a frontal lobotomy, that first reaction is to protect ourselves. Mm -hmm. But there's a saying that says, mental, sign of mental health isn't that you don't have problems, you go on to better problems. <laughs> and I have a feeling it wasn't the first time he's faced racist behavior. So to face that behavior and not learn from it and say, when this happens again in some form, what am I going to do? Then you can go more into auto-response. And, and it's sort of like smiling and you feel happier. Mm -hmm. As you act your way into it, you feel your own power and you feel that connection with others. So it's like instead of negotiating about a pie, you make the pie bigger. You made the pie of participation bigger. That's alliterative. <laughs> pie of participation. <laughs> so that whole stadium had an experience that they talked about. It, it created so much pressure that they finally forced the officials to penalize the man who threw it. Um, so it's enormously amazing what happens when you sway people to be somebody they want to believe that they are or they could be. Mm -hmm. But it does but that, start with the mindfulness. You're right. It, it, you have to be mindful to make choices. Otherwise, you're an animal that reacts only. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And there's that certain crowd reaction that, you know, we've seen it on social media over and over again. You know, the girl that was going to South Africa and and said something incredibly stupid before she got on the plane and when she landed found out that just a whole shitstorm had happened around her and really that pack mentality on social has gotten so vicious and in the end you know she didn't just lose her job her family turned on her uh, you know and and said hey you know we live here um, yeah she's been hounded for years now because of that one incident and that's an example of reaction you know that somebody could have stopped you know it didn't have to go that way so one of the things that I, I am teaching people is don't knee jerk because you know if, if you respond in a really negative way on the social media at some point that's going to come back on you. If you say something 
just vicious and mean on Twitter, for example, you're going to get that back to you totally out of context and not in the context in which you meant it. That's all destroyed by the, by the structure of social media. So how can we be more generous towards other people and social and how can we create those relationships that then, uh, you know, maybe could have kept her, even her afloat if she had had those support networks in place. Isn't that part of mutuality? It's part of mutuality, and I don't know that it's just necessarily generosity. It's a presence of mind and a desire to have life be meaningful, even if it's not always great. That was an 11-hour flight, and there were several good articles, as you know, from the New York Times by a man who's writing a book on shaming. But mm -hmm. I think it's even worse because it doesn't necessarily mean that if I say something nasty or fake humorous about something that will eventually turn on me. There's always a potential, but it's not necessarily going to happen. Mm. I think at any point there could be certain people that said that could be us and they could have fomented another campaign. But I believe it will always continue, contrary to what Huffington Post believes, that good news is spread more than bad. I think that that's fallacious research. Bad news will always spread further, faster, and last longer in mm. a connected world. But that's all the more reason that they should be learning from you ways of being mindful, of trying to find civil ways that they can say what they really feel, say in this situation, may I tell you what works for me. Um, and I think being grounded and honest and unflappable, equanimity. And if someone says, I really don't want to know, then say, okay. So I think it's sticking to that groundedness and being very aware. We all have about three uh, hot-button behaviors. And I actually designed a course years ago on dealing with difficult people, which was very successful. And it wasn't because my course was brilliant. It's just we lucked upon a gold mine. But here's mm -hmm. the key thing I remember, because it was sold, sold to a large um, uh, training company. So as a trainer stands up, and before the break where they want people to go buy books, they do at least three different specific behaviors for three different kinds of difficult behavior. And people would flood up during the break and say, I know exactly like that. I had a jerk just like that. And the trainer would, excuse me, that's going to be loud on you. But the trainer <laughs> would say, in light of that, what specific technique did you hear this morning you want to, you want to use? And it was like a broken record, meaning they would repeat the same thing. Oh, this person was. It's like they, they can't even hear it. Mm -hmm. And it happened so much that even though it was a lucrative course, trainers burned out. But I learned a priceless lesson about how we get on a roll and we get a deeper groove in our brain the more we think about or repeat the bad things. That's why I'm really looking forward to your book. It's akin to that tainted narrative. What mm -hmm. stories do we most tell about ourselves? Some people have a story where they're always a victim. Some have a redemptive one. Here's what I learned. And increasingly, when because yours is about digital, we do humble brags. Oh, I just was so surprised when this happened. I'm so glad I could. And then I say what a saint I am by what I did. <laughs> I think there's a middle ground. And that's why we're talking here the day after Dave Isay mm -hmm. won the TED Prize and said what he was going to do with it. He's the founder of StoryCorps. But this isn't about telling my own story. 
His is about getting two people care about each other to sit with a trained interviewer to talk about somebody else who changed their life. Mm -hmm. and I think the thing about social is how calmly do we cite someone else for something specific they did that was impressive. So if I was a social marketer, I'd say, when you did this, it reminds me of these two other people. They did something similar. And I think that helps us be more clear about what the customers really value. And it's mm -hmm. input. And I don't go on to say, and by the way, do you want to buy that product? I'm acknowledging something I've actually learned, and I'm expanding the horizons and the contacts for people that have done similar things. So there's a web that comes around me, but I'm not necessarily always in the center of it. The mutuality mm. is that together we're stronger. Yes. Janet, there's something about your groundedness. I always do these long-winded answers sometimes, <laughs> uh, and I don't mean to. Um, I like long-winded answers. I get more Kari that way. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. It's always a good thing. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well, talk to me about how that works then. So let's say that we create mutuality with a group of people and and we start to build, you know, a social engagement with, um, you know, people of like-minded or or some connections. You talk about opportunity makers. That seems the next logical step once you have mutuality with someone that you can share opportunities. How does that work? I believe we don't have to be like-minded. We just have to be like-minded about one thing. Hmm. And the more different we are. We're a society, there's a book called The Big Sort, another one called Going to Extremes, and we're tending to hang out in the United States with people act and feel exactly like us. <laughs> yes. But in fact, um, as Gore-Tex is known for over a decade, and Saddleback Church in L.A., if you have small, tight-knit groups around core interest, they get tightly knit and more rigid. But, mm. as those two groups do, if they're required to learn about rules of engagement that help them, and to interact with the other groups, they get to be affiliated with both a large group and their own. So mutuality perpetuates. But I believe, going back to opportunity makers, they have three traits. They understand their strongest, most productive talent, concretely, mm -hmm. their temperament. I'm a fast thinker. Um, two of my closest allies are, quote, slow thinkers, according to Daniel Kahneman. In other words, they'll come up with three ideas I really like. Two days later, they'll come back with very reasonable ideas about why parts of it would work and not work. They're not dumber or smarter, they're just different. Mm -hmm. And some of us are on the um, continuum of optimistic to pessimistic. I was born optimistic. Two of my best friends are pessimistic and mm -hmm. they resented for it because they believe that there's a bias and there is. But they are more realistic. I see life with a rosy lens. Mm -hmm. And now we can make each other wrong because they really don't act right like me. <laughs> Um, but but I have several friends who we have profoundly different beliefs about things that matter to us a lot, but we have agreed to persevere and say there is this one area that we deeply agree on. Mm -hmm. Together we have more lens on the situation. You get three people who are totally different, taking a stand with something in their hand in a certain place, virtually whatever. That's going to be the most eye-popping way to build credibility and news and attraction. Say. Mm -hmm. I don't really agree with them, da, 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 like Bush and Clinton did. We, we're here for a greater cause, they said as they went to certain countries. Mm. So the opportunity maker knows their top talent and temperament, cultivates relationships around sweet spots of shared interests with people vastly different. So they're actively looking for people that are different than them, that second part. 
and then they can communicate to connect is the third thing. Mm -hmm. That means I first addressed your interests after I listened. Then talk about mine and then how we have something in common. And again, it's not a quid pro quo. It's an ebb and flow over time. There's some people that who wound up helping me for years and then something popped up. And I was always on the lookout. I said, I think you ought to be doing this with these people. Well, actually, that doesn't work, Kari. This is why. But this would. So mm. we're agreeing to iteratively know each other better instead of someone, you know, you know, people that have said, well, no, that's not helpful. And then they drop it. Yeah. And this last year, as you know, it's been spectacular. These people have been falling to my life that are appropriate allies for things we care about deeply and other things we don't, and we kept working on it. And it's the funny thing when you accomplish something with someone. It's not the first thing you do successfully. It's that unexpected, serendipitous ideas you get after that when you know and trust each other better. That's where the juice in life is. Mm -hmm. And again, back to your core thing. You can't do that if you don't have trust in knowing. And when you talk about being mindful in a social sphere, it's all the more important that some of those people may not have yet met in person. But socially, if you want to, quote, market to them, you're proving you're there for us. You're proving that they're there not to build your own network. That inevitably will happen, but it's not around you. Mm. The last thing I'll say, Fran Johansson wrote a great book called The Click Moment. He also wrote The Medici mm. Effect. And he said something. He said, if you want something to grow, give people a hook on which they can add their own ideas to it and make it greater together. Mm -hmm. And that way it becomes about the hook. And that's a kingdom Peter Gooper when he wrote um, Tell to Win. And he said, stories that matter are ones that have a purposeful narrative. So in digital marketing, you can't figure out your purposeful narrative if you're not mindful. I'm speaking to the choir talking to you. But when you are, you tell the specific story or anecdote or example, mm -hmm. and people say, I see a role I want to play in that. They don't even consciously think that out. They say, yes, I can see that. Um, and it brings out their better side with you. And, and you're giving them room to grow and have their own opinion and, and expand on the thing instead of trying to build it all yourself and be the only one that has any value. Right, and it's, it's ours. I'm not even giving them. I'm saying this is what the it is. Mm -hmm. See, I don't think we even hit the area yet where the best online communities happen. I believe in intrinsic and extrinsic rewards. Mm -hmm. I believe in an online community around a certain topic or product where, for example, only members, anybody can look at the tips that might be offered, but only members can add them, and only members can do a forced choice vote once a contest period. So the top tips rise to the top of visibility, and they get e-coupons from underwriters as companies, for example. So mm. every action you take, has a benefit for you and others. So we don't make people wrong for stupid or um, uh, off-topic or self-promotional tips. We just make people more right for offering tips that are germane to that community. So mm -hmm. we, we train together. So there may be a person that owns that community, but they may not be the most popular tip contributor on it, for example. Right. I find because a lot of times that it isn't that person who's the best person in the community. You want to find those mavens who are really passionate about it and let them do their thing. Yes, and passion and relevance. 
again, in mindfulness, it's not speed, as you well know. It's trying to say, in light of this situation right now, what can I do to help the situation at this moment? Which may be, to use a technical term, shut up. <laughs> Online or in person. Yeah. Uh, and I think it all goes back to the baseline you're talking about, which is mindfulness. And I believe if you start at one part of your life at work, you'll take it home or vice versa. I think it really does. I think, you know, that uh, as you become more mindful and you become more present, you have deeper ways of thinking about things and you're much more accepting about other people's, you know, issues and, and you're not quite as self-promotional, although, of course, there are plenty of people who are mindful who are very self-promotional. But I think, uh, it, again, I go back to generosity, which may not be the right word. Maybe it's mutuality. But it's all about that give and take and giving people room to breathe and, and talk and consider and add their own voice. And that's, that's hugely valuable. And I think marketers, even if they're spending time in the office and they've got a meditation room and they meditate at home and they're trying really hard to be more present in the office. When social media bells start ringing all over the place and the Twitter feeds going and Facebook's pinging and their emails going, it's very easy to either blow it all off or to start knee-jerk responding and sending out all of the pre-written texts that you have rather than actually having a conversation with the person, particularly if they get something negative back at them. Right. And as I'm listening to what you say, to me the, the signs of mindfulness dovetail with that. I believe sometimes you can respond swiftly, but you do it from a grounded place mm -hmm. because you're more aware of what most matters. And I believe um, digitally or in person, Mindful keep people keep a thread to the conversation. That is, they respond specifically up front to what was just said, digitally or whatever, then add to it. Because we're ping-pong-balling our conversations. They prove they've heard what was said. They say, may I make some suggestions? May I talk about where I disagree? They, they're very, they stay relevant to the situation. And I think when they know what's likely to set them off, they're able to better pace themselves in the moment. And that clarity also means they're not trying to be everything to everybody. As Nick Tassler wrote in Why Quitters Win, they don't just have a long to-do list. They've chosen to take some activities off the to-do list. Mm -hmm. And mindfulness to me is, those are some signs that I notice it. Yes, yeah. I think, I think having, being able to delegate your time a little more efficiently to you know even if it's just something as simple as not having your cell phone on while you're having a conversation like this or you know saying I'm only going to answer email every hour for example instead of you know constantly picking up the phone and constantly being active with it I think that there's a lot of ways that we can moderate how we use social media and make it more, make ourselves more effective. I think it's very inefficient the way most people use social now that it's, you know, they think they're multitasking, which is one of the things in the book is that the whole multitasking is such a myth that you're so distracted you don't do anything well. 
So finding ways to focus. You're stimulating my thinking, which I appreciate. I think it'll be interesting for you to come up with a credo of three, five, or seven core truths. Mm. So, for example, one that just came to mind from what Wise You, Janet, said was when all is said and done, there are certain people at the end of the day or when we're making a big decision, we found get us. Uh, we found that they give us the most germane tips or feedback that relate to what we said is of interest to us. Mm -hmm. and better when they're mindful. They offer specific relevant help even before we've asked for it or we knew we could get it from them. Mm -hmm. That builds huge trust and I believe it only can come from that mindfulness uh, place. So the stuff about busyness, yes, I think it's all true that people just need very concrete examples of what it looks like. Mm. That's why I believe visual is going to grow. I believe visual is when we get in sync and the only part of NLP, uh, Neuro Linguistic Programming, that's been proven to be right is the part about mirroring each other. And there's some controversy about whether mirror neurons really exist. But I do believe, for example, walk talks, you literally get in sync and your vital signs get more in sync. Mm -hmm. Being outdoors um, is great. And that's why I believe that in social media, visual conversations and how people moderate themselves together with explicit rules of engagement way which they agree to have those conversations, especially groups of more than three, those are signs of self-regulation and collective regulation together that I think will cause some people to fall away and other people to do well. Mm -hmm. I just got off the phone, for example, where I'm being asked to moderate um, 20 economists over dinner. 20? That's, that's economists. And that's, this is something by invitation only as a reward. They get to be there together. Mm. And as you know, I, I studied behavioral economists um, in school. I was near the bottom of my class. It was a certificate for journalists, practicing journalists. But I don't know much about it. But mm. the goal is to help them see not only in that presence how they can engage and have a thread to the conversation and learn from each other without being stiff and wooden, that that's going to be as important as the actual ideas they exchange. Until I was listening to you, I didn't realize that. So thank mm. you again. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, really, you just brought that out. Good. I think it's. I think we're doing something as a sign of it. When you say things to me, I get ideas, and it helps me clarify my thinking. Um, I think that's one of the reasons we have our friendship. Mm. Have that expectation that it's going to happen, and that that doesn't necessarily happen the first time we're together. I think that that is is part of mutuality, right? That it's really about um, connecting with people, and yeah, we may not agree about everything, but I think it has a lot to do too with actual listening and active listening, which is something I'm going to interview Ted Rubin about active listening as well because I think that's something that we don't do enough of and I know it's something I don't do enough of. I constantly am fighting my urge to interrupt and say what I have to say that's so important and it isn't. It's never more important than the person that you're listening to but it's very hard and we've been trained to do that for years particularly women who have been told you know, stand up and get in there and fight, fight, fight and be like the men. You know, that, that kind of mentality 
and I've been in businesses, you know, being a restaurant chef, trust me, you got to get in there and fight. And then I went into technology, you got to get in there and fight. So it's constantly, I'm trying to compensate for that. And now I'm finding myself kind of going that sine wave back down again because I'm working with amazing people who are so centered and focused. So I just went off and talked about myself for a really long time because I had nothing to say. <laughs> but it was a valuable lesson. And it sparks, it I'll just say briefly, that goes right to that. I remember watching another journalist interview someone I'd really wanted to interview, but I got passed over for him and I was so lucky. because, And I was sitting in the room out of the view of the person he was interviewing. And he'd ask the question, and the man answered, and he did what I'm doing. He just let it sit, and in that silent space, the the person then followed up mm. and said what was really on his mind, far more revealing. And then he nodded a bit, and the man said something more, and it was a great story because he gave him the space he knew from his ground perspective. There was more there, and if he asked questions, it would ruin the rhythm that was happening inside that person's head. Mm -hmm. Another lesson I should remind myself of more often. It's yeah. a very tough lesson. So when is your book coming out? It'll be out this summer, as soon as That's I get done writing that. it. <laughs> so very How soon. That? <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I admire your approach to it, and I think that specificity is going to make it uh, important for people who don't think they're interested in mindfulness. Mm. And I've heard the word and maybe tune it out. So starting it at work and starting it digital, I think where there's fewer, there's more suppositions and projection because we're not in person, could in fact um, really help people since more of us are living and working on our own. Mm. And that is, according to some research studies, making some people more lonely. So the yeah. idea of mutuality, wherever it is, digitally or in person, is it's a pretty vital topic. Obviously so, because your book has done really well. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you uh, tell people that are going to watch the video about your book and where they can get it and where they can find you. There's a two-part book. It was split in half. One's called Mutuality Matters, and that companion follow-up is Mutuality Matters More. So it has over 200, and each of them, actionable insights, things you can do that enable you to accomplish more and have a more adventuresome life with others. So I believe in specificity. They can find it on any major platform, from Amazon to iTunes to Kobo to Barnes & Noble. And um, so I'm writing a follow-up book called Opportunity Makers. I've got uh, wonderful insights from people who watched the talk. Um, and it's one of the things that inspires me because they come from such different places in the world and there are universals about mm -hmm. wanting a sense of belonging, about not necessarily wanting to be a quote leader but wanting a meaningful life, mm -hmm. wanting to use their best talents more often with others. So in my blog, Moving From Me To We, and in the Forbes and HuffPo column, you can just look up certain keywords that relate to mutuality um, or that connectedness or um, connective behavior in general, and I hope that that some of the people listening to us now and watching us find some benefit from those specific insights, and tell me where they agree or disagree and how it's helped them. That'd mm, be wonderful. Best for me. 
Yeah, well, I can say that I've already highlighted a whole bunch in my Kindle version of the first book, so as soon as I've finished it, I'll get to the second one. <laughs> thank you, Janet, and I look forward to hearing from you about it, your candid views. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. I really appreciate you doing this interview. It's It's been wonderful chatting with you, and and uh, it's always always a pleasure. Always a pleasure, Janet, always. <laughs> Thanks.